All right, I want to invite you to take God's Word and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, thank you worship team for leading us. I was just looking up here, I think four out of the five uh, people that were leading us in worship this morning are some of our residents or were some of our residents that we started uh, this program three years ago. Uh, when uh, you called me as pastor of this church, I knew one of the things that we needed to do, especially with our multi-site approach, was to develop a feeder system, a minor league system, if you will, of pastors that would come up that we could train, raise up, and either send out to our campuses or uh, send out to gospel-centered, like-minded churches all around the country. And uh, you responded to this. We named it in honor of our first pastor at Champion Force, first main pastor, uh, Damon Shook, who served our church for 28 years so faithfully. We wanted to raise people up kind of in the spirit of Damon Shook that had a heart for missions and evangelism in the local church. And uh, you, you, you gave to support this effort. And I want you to know, currently, right now, we have 23 residents on our team that are serving, and they're being raised up right here. Uh, they're learning local church ministry. And again, we raised them up in our organization. Caleb was one of the first that we brought up from our residency and actually made him a pastor on staff. And he's leading worship here, doing such a tremendous job. And uh, it's just wonderful to see these young men and women uh, who have been called by God. They're learning how to do church in an effective way uh, here at Champion Forest. And we just believe that God is going to continue raising up young residents through the years uh, that will serve our church and, again, that we'll send out all over the United States. And uh, we've got another uh, group that's coming in here in the fall, and they're living uh, on the campus of the Lanier Theological Library. Uh, he's actually building housing for them, the Lanier Foundation Library, so they'll live on campus there. They can do their school through the library and whatever seminary they want to, and then they work with us, and so they're getting their theological education, they're getting their practical ministry experience, and uh, I'm telling you, God is doing a great work with our residents, and you saw just kind of the fruit of it up here leading this morning, so I just want to say thank you for giving uh, to uh, our budget and to the Demonstruck uh, Champion Forest Residency Program. All right, Isaiah chapter 9. I love preaching this time of the year. I love Christmas, and I love christmas theme messages. And here we are out of Isaiah. We're concentrating in this series, these, these four weeks of Christmas, on the fourfold name that is given to Isaiah, or is given to uh, Judah, uh, prophesied by Isaiah here in verse 6. I'll highlight this verse, and then we'll look at some context. The Bible says this, for to us, we just lifted it up, a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, last week, Pastor Avery uh, broke down the wonderful counselor session, uh, section of this verse and what that looks like. This week, I want us to focus on the second title that is given to this son that will be born, this child that is coming into the earth. Uh, and it is the title of the message today I'm calling Mighty God. Now, uh, what I'm doing in this series is I'm taking a, a title that is given here in verse 6, and I'm marrying it up, if you will, with a gift that the arrival of this child brings with him, a present, if you will. You know, this is the thing about Jesus. When he comes, he doesn't come empty-handed. Uh, when you ask Jesus into your life, you get forgiveness of sin. Uh, he doesn't come empty-handed. When you ask Jesus into your life, you get eternal 
life. When you ask Jesus to come live and rule and reign in your life, you get purpose and meaning. He never comes empty-handed. And you know, my girls love when their grandparents uh, come to Houston. And they don't just love their grandparents because it's Gammy and Papa. One of the reasons they love Gammy and Papa coming in is because Gammy and Papa never come to town empty-handed. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, grandparents. They're always bringing something with them. And when Isaiah, he prophesies of the birth of the Messiah, he tells the people of Judah, this child that is being born, this son that is given, is bringing something with him. And so I want us to read the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 9. It'll kind of give some color to what we're reading today. And I want to start in verse 1. The Bible says this, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of darkness, deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us... A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, context uh, matters. And it's important to know the time and circumstances surrounding this prophecy that Isaiah makes here. It's around 730 years before the birth of Jesus when Isaiah makes this prophecy. And it is a very stressful and distressful time for the people of Israel and the inhabitants of Judah. The prophecy that Isaiah makes comes at a time when uh, the kingdoms are divided. I want to put a, a, a map on the screen for you here, and you'll kind of see what I'm talking about here. Uh, this is at a time when the kingdoms were divided, so you had Israel to the north, and you had Judah to the south. Now, here's what you need to know about this. This, again, just going to give you a little uh, context to this prophecy that Isaiah was making uh, today. Uh, at the same time that the kingdoms were divided, there is a man by the name of Tilgath-Pelazar that takes power over the Assyrian Empire. It kind of laid kind of uh, asleep, if you will, for a number of years. And when Tilgath Pelazar, we'll just call him Mr. T, all right? It's a little bit easier to say. When Mr. T takes over the Assyrian Empire, that little yellow part you see is, is what the Assyrian Empire owned at the time. That light green is what they owned when Mr. T's expansion program was over. And that happened in just a matter of 18 years. So this was a very intentional, it was a very aggressive campaign uh, to expand this Assyrian empire. They were the mega power in the world at the time. Now, uh, 
Israel knows that Mr. T in the Assyrian Empire is on the march. And if you look at the inset of the map, you can't really see it, but at the top right-hand corner is an inset of that little picture that you have right there, and in the top right is Damascus. That's Syria. So Israel to the north and Syria northwest, Syria to the northeast, they know that Mr. T in the Assyrian Empire is on the march, and so in order to try to withstand this empire from advancing on their territory, they go to the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, and they said, let's make a coalition here and let's fight against this Assyrian empire. Well, the king of Judah at the time is ruled by a man by the name of Ahaz. And if you know anything about the divided kingdom, all of the kings, nearly all of them, uh, with the exception of just a few, were very evil. They didn't walk with the Lord. And Ahaz not only says no to Israel and Syria, I'm not going to join your coalition, but you know what Ahaz does? He goes to Mr. T, the leader of the Assyrian Empire, and he forms a coalition with him. And it's at this point that Isaiah who is a prophet in Jerusalem, which is located in Judah at the time, where Ahaz is leading, he goes to King Ahaz. And essentially what he says is, you have lost your ever-loving mind. You are nuts, King Ahaz. Instead of listening to the counsel of the Lord, you have partnered up with the very power that is going to overtake Israel, and Syria, and ultimately, it's going to overtake you, Ahaz. And, and Isaiah prophesies that some dark days are coming. So dark, look in your Bible at Isaiah chapter 8, the very last verse, verse 22, right before this prophecy is given in Isaiah chapter 9. Look how dark it is. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is the context of Isaiah chapter 9. You have darkness and despair, war and death. Distress, gloom of anguish, fear, terrible unknown. Sounds a lot like the day we're living in, doesn't it? The context of this prophecy spoken forth, this is what's happening. And Isaiah says, a child is coming. A son is going to be given. And he's going to change everything. Now, as I mentioned, I'm taking one of the names given to the child and marrying them up with something that, that comes with that child. And last week, I looked at Wonderful Counselor and how he brings hope with him. You see this in verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This is the first glimpse of hope. Isaiah has been prophesying about darkness and destruction and judgment. This is the first glimpse of hope that he gives to the people of Israel, the inhabitants of Judah. While there's coming darkness and gloom, he says it won't last forever. In the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee 
of the nations. Now, remember what I told you about the north, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. When the Assyrian Empire was coming to take over, they came from the north. In fact, any country that was attempting to take over land as it relates to Israel and Judah, they always came from the north. And so the north represented the enemies of God. The north represented evil. Uh, if you read 2 Kings chapter 17, once Mr. T and the Assyrian Empire take over Israel, especially the northern regions, the land of Naphtali and Zebulon, the far north of the tribes of Israel, what he does, 2 Kings chapter 17, is he deports the Israelites that were living there, many of them, he exiles them, and he imports, he brings in pagan peoples of all kinds. And do you remember what happens? Those pagans begin to intermarry with the Jews that were left there. They're known in the derogatory term as, as half-breeds. They were Samaritans. This is the area of Samaria. So when we talk about hope coming from the north, I want you to think about it in the context of what the people of Israel and Judah would have thought about. The north, hope is coming from the north? That represented evil. It represented the enemies of God. It represented those who had sold out to God and corrupted their bloodline. It represented the, the far backwoods country, if you will. It was far away from Jerusalem and the city of God. And yet it's from here that Isaiah says a Savior is coming. Hope coming from the most unlikely of places. Sounds like Christmas, doesn't it? I mean, Bethlehem, a no-name town. And yet that's where our Savior was born. Not enough room for him in an inn, so he goes to a, a cave, if you will, where animals were kept, born there. He's raised in Nazareth, which was the Galilee of the Gentiles. And do you remember what is uh, ultimate, uh, ultimately a disciple named Daniel, Nathaniel? You remember what he said about Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And yet Matthew looks at Jesus' ministry sees that it took place in and around the Galilee of the Gentiles when we take our groups to the Holy Land. And we'll be taking other groups there, not anytime soon, but we will be taking other groups there. And I would encourage you to go because when you get out on that Sea of Galilee, we'll take a boat out on the Sea of Galilee and we'll tell those that are with us to just turn and look inland and stretch your arms just like this. And when you do that, you're looking at 80% of Jesus' ministry taking place right there within your arm stretch as you look on land. All in the Galilee of the nations, the Galilee of the Gentiles. Matthew sees Jesus' ministry, and he connects the dots. And this is why he writes in Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, And leaving Nazareth, he, Jesus, went and lived at Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So we see this wonderful counselor brings hope. But today we're looking at this term given to him, this title given to him as mighty God. And this mighty God who was born an infant, he didn't just bring hope into the world, but another gift that he brings is the gift of light. This is verse 2. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great 
light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Have you ever been in a place where you could feel darkness? Uh, I, I, I grew up in the country, and there weren't a lot of lights out there when the sun went down. And we had a dog pen in the back uh, of our yard. We lived on about an acre of land, and at the very back of that piece of land, uh, we had outdoor dogs, and we kept them in a pen out there, and it never failed. My dad would tell me, Jared, go put the dogs up. And I hated going to put those dogs up because there was a field behind our house. And I just knew that the children of the corn lived out there. And so <laughs> I'm telling you, I would run as fast as I If you were a neighbor looking at me, you'd have thought I was crazy because I was running as fast as I can. I'd beat those dogs out there. I'd lock them up, and I'd run back as fast as I can, feeling darkness. I was reading an article a uh, week before last on some of the hostages that were released from uh, the hands of Hamas. And by the way, I did an entire message on Thanksgiving week uh, called Israel and the Christian. And if you want to know just where we stand as a church, uh, I preached uh, an entire message. Go online and download that message and just talked about what should our response be, how should we think about what's going on in the Middle East. It's called Israel and the Christian. It's on our website. And I uh, would encourage you to go listen to that message. But I was reading this article about one of the hostages that was released. I want to show you a picture. This is a lady by the name of Adina Moshi. She was 72 years of age. And the article says this, and I'm quoting. Adina Moshi was dragged from her safe room at home in Israel, taken to Gaza and forced into tunnels five stories underground. They took her inside the tunnels. She walked bare feet in the mud of the tunnels. It was very hard to breathe. She was held in an underground room where the lights were switched on for only two hours a day. The darkness was literal, but also figurative, deprived of any information. Their other senses and imaginations became keener. Can you imagine that kind of darkness? And yet, as literal as that darkness is, that's how dark it was spiritually. For the people Isaiah was prophesying to. They had rejected the counsel of the Lord. And so Isaiah says, look, judgment's coming. And it's going to get dark for you. Physically, you're going to be overtaken. It's going to be dark spiritually because you're going to be wondering where God is. It was a dark time when Jesus was born. For 400 years, not a word from God. No prophet's voice had been spoken. They were under the heavy hand of Roman occupation and rule, and they were wondering, God, have you forgotten me? It was dark. You know, this is a, we're talking about light and Christmas, and light is synonymous. They go together. But if we're honest, it can be a time of grief and sadness for many. You may be going through a dark time right now. It doesn't feel like there's any light shining in your life. We just came out of Thanksgiving, and here we are into Christmas. And for some of you, you sat at a table for the very first time where a chair is empty that had been filled every year before that with somebody that you loved. And it's a time of darkness for you. Or maybe you have a, a child or a wayward grandchild. It's not walking with the Lord. It breaks your heart. And, and, and there's laughter, of course, and, 
And, and there's smiles, but deep on the inside, it's so dark and your heart is heavy. I just heard about a man this week who drove onto the campus of a church, not, not one of our campuses, but drove onto the campus of a church and committed suicide there on the property. It was so dark to this man that he saw no way out. It could be the diagnosis of a doctor. It's unfavorable to you or to someone you love. It could be that you've been let go from a job and now you're wondering, how are you going to make ends meet this time of the year? Some of you are praying and it feels like your prayers aren't going past the ceiling of the room that you're in. You're in what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. Spiritually, you feel like you're five stories beneath the world right now. If that's you, man, I just... I just want it to, I want to reiterate this morning, I want the words of Isaiah to resound from this place, and my prayer will resonate in your soul that if it seems a little dark, this is what is beautiful about Christmas. Because with the announcement that a Savior is being born and a Son is giving, it doesn't matter how dark it gets, light is here. I took my twins last week, got them in the car. I'll do it again this week. Let's go look at Christmas lights. We'll turn that Christmas on and we'll listen to music on and we'll, we'll go look at lights. I mean, you can't think about Christmas without light. They go hand in hand. John, when he thought about Jesus, he loved this theme of light. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. The true light, verse 9, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus said of himself, John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Everywhere you turn in the Christmas story, you see the significance of light. It was the light of the star that pointed those men from the east to where the child Jesus was. It was, the, it was the light from the angels that burst forth in that midnight sky when they announced the arrival of Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 9, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Light dispelled the darkness, and it lit up that sky. And this is what light does. It dispels darkness. This is one of the things I love about our Christmas Eve services. Uh, you'll see some video of our Christmas Eve service, and I really want to encourage you to make it a priority to be here. Sunday morning is Christmas Eve this year. We've got one service at 1045. We'll fill this place up. It'll be a candlelight service, and I want to encourage you, even after today's service, we're going to meet in the chapel, and we've got maps for you, and we're going to ask you to take some door hangers and hang them on doors. We're going to ask you to own your street and invite people to our Christmas Eve service. You know, some people will come to a Christmas Eve service that won't come to any other service you invite them to. And you know what? It could be that these door hangers that we're passing out, we did it at Champions this past week. We're doing it at Jersey Village today. We'll do it at North Klein Tuesday. We'll pass them out in all these neighborhoods. It could be that 98% of those door hangers do exactly what you, people will do exactly with them what you do with them. What do you do with them? Throw them in the garbage, okay? And it could be that 98, 99% get thrown in the garbage, but it could be it goes on the door of someone who's hurting. Someone with going through a dark night of the soul, and they get this invitation, Champion Forest, Jersey Village, there's a candlelight service, and something, the Spirit of God speaks to their heart. And they come, 
And they light a candle signifying the light of the world coming into the world. And they hear the gospel. And a life could be changed forever. Isn't it amazing? The smallest of candles, once lit, can dispel the greatest of darkness. When we consider the title Mighty God given to Jesus, this word mighty, it means strong or invincible. Think about how mighty he is. It was a humble birth, but it was a mighty birth. I mean, his birth is one that caused wise men to come from Persia, modern-day India, to find this child. His birth is what led these shepherds to stop what they were doing and come and worship him. It was a mighty birth. His, his birth caused the angels, as we mentioned, to light up the sky and praise. His birth split time, B.C., A.D. His birth was a mighty birth. His earthly ministry, think about how mighty it was. That he healed the sick. That he made the blind see. That he allowed the crippled to walk. That he spoke seas that were rough and raging and they were still. That he raised the dead. He was mighty in his birth. He was mighty in his earthly ministry. He was mighty in his death. Think about what his death did. His death forgave our sin. His death made us right with God. His death split the holy of holies from top to bottom, signifying that we now have access to the Father. He was mighty in his life, mighty in his birth, mighty in his death, mighty in his resurrection. Who has beat death? Only the people that Jesus raised from the dead. And guess what? All of them had to die again. Jesus is the only one who was raised from the dead never to die again. Mighty that he can, as John 10 said, I have the authority and the power to lay my life down and to take it up again. The writer of Hebrews refers to Jesus as the fulfillment of the great high priest. It says he can hold this position because of the power, the might of an indestructible life. This is who our God is. Unto us, a child is born 100% human. And unto us, a son is given 100% divine. Jesus is our mighty God. And what is our mighty God doing when we're first introduced to him? What is he doing when he was born? What is he doing when we finally see him face to face? You know what he's doing? He's bringing light. Just think about it. This Bible is bookended, Genesis to Revelation, with God bringing light, being light. And in the very middle, it's Jesus coming as light. Think about it. Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible. Simply by the power of his spoken voice. And we know Jesus was there because for by him all things were created. And the scripture says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the incarnation, his birth, he dispelled spiritual darkness. Not just with his voice, but his very presence. We looked at it, John 1, 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. In the beginning, speaking light, dispelling darkness. In the middle, becoming light, dispelling darkness. At the very end 
of time, when we see Jesus face to face and we're with him for all of eternity, what is he doing? Dispelling darkness, Revelation 22, verse 5, and night will be no more. There will be no need of light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is who our God is. There's a close correlation. Listen, there's a close correlation between hope and light. They go hand in hand. That's why we're taking them back-to-back weeks. The wonderful counselor bringing hope. The mighty God bringing light. Hope and light. They're tied to one another. Don't believe me? You ask any ship out at sea that's being beaten by the waves what he most wants to see, and it's the light of a lighthouse. Why? Because hope and light go hand in hand. You ask any airplane pilot when it's dark and they can't see the runway and they've got to trust their instruments, what really brings joy to their soul? Is it not the lights of a runway? You ask small children what Rudolph's nose represents. Light and hope, they go hand in hand. I can remember going to my grandparents' house when I was little. They, they lived in South Mississippi, about four and a half hours away, away from where we lived. But to a little kid going to see his grandparents who loved his grandparents, it might as well have been 49 hours away. It felt like it took forever to get there. And my grandparents lived on top of a hill, and you could see their home from probably two or three miles away. You could see in the distance their porch light. And my dad would always say when we were getting close, hey, see that light up there? And I can't tell you how much hope that light represented. That meant Mama and Pawpaw were home. That meant cakes were baked. Pies were ready. I mean, I only like two kinds of pies, hot pie and cold pie, all right? Pie was ready. It meant presents were under the tree. It meant no more living by the rules of mom and dad. There was something about that porch light, and I'm telling you, it was glorious. And if I close my eyes and think about it, I can still feel those same emotions today, all because of a porch light being on. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not an art guy at all. I, I mean, look at me. I grew up in Louisiana. My family's from Mississippi. Right, I went to school in Arkansas, not that cultured, okay? <laughs> but I appreciate stories about art, and uh, certainly in seeing artists like Rembrandt, Dutch artist in the 1600s, he's considered one of the best to ever live. He's known best for his landscapes, his self-portraits, Painting scenes from the Bible. I know all of this because of Wikipedia, by the way. All right, great source. Check out. But he loved using light in his paintings in various ways. In fact, painters today, artists today, are taught a technique called Rembrandt lighting. Now, we don't know if he was a believer or not, but again, um, his most famous paintings mostly are from the Bible. Nearly one-third of his works are depictions set within the confines of Scripture. One of his most famous is called The Adoration of the Shepherds. I want to show it to you on the screen right here. You see it. Shepherds are gathered in a little farmhouse to get a look at the infant Jesus. And what is most striking about this piece of art, what is most studied about this piece of art, is the Rembrandt lighting. Well, you have a little bit of light, a dim light coming from the lamp 
that a shepherd is holding, I want you to notice the other light, the brightest of lights in this picture, is emanating from the manger itself. And Rembrandt meant for it to be this way, that the only way we can see anything is by light that comes from Jesus, even in the faces In this picture of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, they can only be seen by the degree that their faces can see Jesus. It's a beautiful picture, and it's the whole point of the message this morning. That the true light has come into the world. And Jesus said that if you follow me, you'll no longer walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. You know, the problem is, is we're sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus would say in John chapter 3, verse 19, that this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people in their sin love darkness rather than the light. And so, in and of ourselves, We reject the light of the world because this is our sin nature. There's a lot of debate this time of year, a lot of Christmas movies. The mass majority of them will have this as their theme. Is seeing believing or is believing seeing? Well, for those of us that trust in Jesus, believing is seeing. We're told in John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus told his disciples in John 8.36, while you have the light, believe in the light. And it's not just a mental ascent. It's in your heart. Believe in the light. And Jesus said, you will become sons and daughters of light. You believe by faith. And our mighty God, who is light itself, and the Bible says, you will be saved. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to give you an opportunity today. To call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is simple belief. It is trusting in. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will love your sin. You will love darkness. Because you don't want anything to do with the light. And I'm telling you, God brought you here today to hear this message that if you will believe in his name and give him your life, he will change you forever. And light will come live in you and it will dispel the darkness. But you got to believe. You got to believe. And so, if that's you, you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, I'm just going to ask you to pray a simple prayer of faith. And that is to Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Be light in me and as you turn from your sin and you follow by faith Jesus trusting in his death his burial his resurrection that's what makes you right with God not being a good person not coming to church 
It's trusting in Christ, believing by faith. When you do that, at that moment, the Bible says you are born again. It's a miracle. And now the light of the world has come to live in your life. If you're praying that prayer with me, in just a moment, we're going to give an invitation. And if you're praying that prayer, I'm going to ask you to come and just share it with the person that's standing down here saying, I'm going to ask Jesus into my life. What we'll do is we'll put resources in your hand to help you grow. We'll get your contact information. We'll want to follow up with you. We want to pray with you. We want to celebrate the decision God's making, uh, God is leading you to make right now. Others of you. Maybe it's a dark time and you're going through this dark time by yourself. You're not a member of our church. God's brought you to Jersey Village to be a part of what God is doing here through our faith family called Champion Forest. And, and God's leading you today to join our church. Why don't you come forward in this invitation? And we'll tell you about our new members class where you can come and hear about our church. And there you become official member of our church. Others of you, man, maybe this just needs to be a time of repentance for you. We're going we're gonna to stand and sing here in just a moment after I pray. And maybe for you, it's just you haven't been living as light. And so it's a time of repentance. Say, God, I want to be, God, forgive me. I, I want to be light in my community. I want to be light in my workplace. I want to be light in my school. I want to be light in my home. And you just recommit yourself to the Lord. I don't know what God is speaking to. Maybe you just need prayer. Maybe it's a dark time and you just need somebody to pray with you the light of Christ into your life. Why don't you come forward and we, we'd be honored to pray for you. I don't know what decision that you're going to make, but I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and sing. And as soon as we stand and sing, don't wait on anybody. You come. If you're the only one, what does it matter? That's what we're here for is to do business with the Lord. Let's not go through the motions. Let's not, let's not just like, like, treat this like it's just an, another day. This is the Lord's day. And he brought you here to hear this message. And the responsibility on every one of us is to respond. And so if it's in a public way, wonderful. If it's in a private way, wonderful. But whatever God's speaking to you, that's what you got to do. you got to obey that. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, where you've spoken to hearts, we want to respond in a way that honors you. For those that are being saved, joining this church, needing prayer, whatever it may be, Lord, whatever it may be, may we respond in this moment in a way that honors you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. As you look up, I'm gonna ask you to Thank you for up. joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.